Hello stackers and welcome to another special edition of Stack of Dice. This is Rhett, the Dungeon Master for the group, and with me is... Thane, who plays as Peter Greyhawk. And this time we are going to spend a little bit of time talking about adding cities to your game. And uh, this is something that came up recently because while I've been out walking, I have been trying to memorize the names of the little streets around us, and I got to thinking, huh, I wonder what the difference is between the different kinds of roads. You know, we see street versus road versus place versus circle and so on. This is drive, court, etc. Yeah. And uh, so that got me to thinking about city layout. And then that got me thinking more about cities in our games. And so what we're going to do is take some time to try and break down cities as they pertain to Dungeons and Dragons games and try and figure out or maybe talk and expound on some things that maybe we take for granted. And... See if we can be a little more purposeful with the cities and the designs that we come up with for our cities. And we're going to have some fun resources to talk about in relation to that. So I guess the first question I want to ask is, why cities? Why do we have cities? Well, cities provide a load of benefits. Uh, I mean, they uh, provide protection for a large group of people. When everyone is grouped up, you know, you can share resources among each other. Uh, Maybe defense also. It's easier to defend yourselves if you got a lot of people in one place instead yeah, of being scattered around. That too. Um, I think it makes life more convenient if yeah. everything is in one place. Yeah, if everything's right there, you know, you've got all kinds of services and goods available right here in the city. And there could be other reasons cities are established, but cities are groupings of people who have decided to come together into one area whether it's a region, depending on the size of the city, they could be super huge. You know, you have New York yeah. City that is just a monstrosity of a <laughs> of a region uh, that encompasses the five boroughs. But you've got all these gatherings, super cities that are growing up around the world right now. Los Angeles, you have cities over in India that are just massive. China has huge cities. They begin because there's some inherent benefit to being close to the city. That's where the work is. That's where that's where trade happens. That's where the seat of government is. There, there's all sorts of reasons that cities form. And we're going to try and break down some of those and talk about why in your own designs for cities, you might want to consider these things. But we're also going to talk about maybe some of the more detailed, more nuanced aspects of cities and try and come up with some meaningful things that maybe you could start to work into your own games. Before we really dive into it, we do want to note that the Dungeon Master's Guide does have extensive stuff about creating settlements. If you are looking for step-by-step instructions or maybe a little guidance or tables for randomizing things, check there. And I believe it's in pages, it's in the early part of the book and kind of midway through the book. So if you look up creating a settlement in the back in the index, you'll be able to find where in the DMG those are located. Or in the table of contents. Cities form a necessary part of fantasy role-playing worlds. I can't think of any games that I've been a part of where there have not been cities. Oh yeah. Just like, you know, the wilderness, they are bustling places of adventure. They're just as exciting to, you know, set campaigns and world settings in. Yeah, and really cities do offer different kinds of opportunities for adventure. Once you get into a city, you could have political intrigue, you could have assassination attempts, you could have 
things going on below the city. So now you're starting to get into underworld type settings yeah. that perhaps you wouldn't have out in a wilderness setting. It has its own restrictions and uh, openings. You know, you're out in the wilderness, you know, you, you're fighting animals, monsters, all that stuff. In cities, you usually don't have those kind of things. And so um, you're under a little bit more restraint because there's societal laws to adhere to, which usually don't condone killing and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you get into when you get a bunch of people together, things get interesting. Oh, yes. Very interesting. Crime goes up. Yep. Uh, you start to have people living next to each other and maybe they don't get along. Mm -hmm. And so you get into the idea of factions or political parties or any number of things that happen when people get together. Uh, you could have warring, not warring, but uh, sparring religions within mm -hmm. the same city where they're incompatible or with each other. Or maybe even warring religions. Yeah, they, that could very well be. Yeah. Um, cities are great if you really want to focus adventures on the complexities of people. I mean, they're, they're not always going to be humans, especially in fantasy and science fictional settings, but cities make great places to really expound on how ideas develop and conflict with each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. And certainly that could add new dimension to a game, mm -hmm. maybe to change the pace up or something or to add elements that would be difficult to add elsewhere. Yeah. Besides cities add the opportunity for shopping. Oh yeah, definitely. It, they're great places to just get supplies to your characters without too much hassle. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so cities just for the basic utility of cities can be pretty easy to slap together. But if you really want some depth to your worlds and to your cities, you, it's, it's good to have a grasp on how they're constructed and how they are made, so that way you have a naturalistic flow to your stories. Yeah, very good. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of these things. Uh, first of all, I wanted to maybe go through some standout fantasy cities. Do you have any in mind? Waterdeep. Waterdeep, yeah, okay. So in the Forgotten Realms themselves, mm -hmm. in the D&D &D setting, Waterdeep is a huge example of the major metropolitan area. It's kind of like the New York City of Faerun, where you've got a, a city that, I mean, is a campaign setting really unto itself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with well-established descriptions and uh, historical stuff that's been written over the years, Ed Greenwood did a fair amount, and of course, others have come along afterward. In the second edition campaign settings, there were two box sets for the Ruins of Undermountain, which are buried under the city of Waterdeep. Gigantic maps. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. in the city, you could have an adventure that never leaves the city of Waterdeep oh, that yeah. takes you all the way up to level 20. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of times cities are more like just... Uh, landing places to rest and restock, but there's just a whole bunch of potential to cities that, um, at least I have not seen, really dug into. Yeah, and people have done some fun things with them. I've heard of one person who came up with a custom class design for an urban druid, where basically they go around and, and they stimulate growth of green stuff within the city. Interesting. And I just thought that was kind of a neat idea. That's pretty cool. So all the gardens and parks and things that you yeah. would find in a large city. Somebody's got to keep it up. Why not a druid? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Makes sense. Uh, other fantasy cities that spring to mind, um, Minas Tirith. Yeah, that's the one that's been foremost in my mind. 
And this is where fantasy worlds really become fun because you can make cities whatever you want them to be. Yeah. Our friend Heather Waite, who did some artwork for us recently and gave us some great, great illustrations of each of the major characters. Oh, yeah. Really thrilled us. Thank you, Heather, for that work. She has developed a city that is a library, playing on the idea of cities as gathering points for knowledge and people getting together to learn from each other. Here's a city whose sole foundation, whose purpose is to get people together to grow from knowledge as a library. And I just thought that's a really cool idea. And Minas Tirith, I mean, the, the description of it, the Alan Lee artwork, where oh, it's yeah. just the, the tiered city up on the built into the mountainside and it's white stone. So on sunny days, I bet it's just blindingly white. And then, of course, you've got the, the defensive benefits of that too oh yeah and uh the um the intricacies of the cities um at least when we come into it in the in the books uh with you know there, there hasn't been a rightful king in forever with denethor as a steward and all the, all the little details about that that in and of itself is a pretty cool adventure idea of like you know trying to find the rightful king in the grand story arc that was the lord of the rings yeah I'm sure those of you who read fantasy or follow other games, other podcasts, you're going to have no end of examples of cities. Some of them are fantastic. Some of them are rather mundane, but still important. I try in each of my descriptions of the major cities you visited to add some little fantastic elements. So in Flynnmore, for instance, with the with the lichen that grows, yes, where they were cultivating that. it and forming it into artwork on the sides of the buildings and even in the major market area where they had networks of wires up above with lamps with the lichen in them. So at night there's this gentle glow over the thing. And I just, I wanted to have a city that really drew upon light, uh, but there, you know, with Abendele with its white walls to Anue, I really didn't put a whole lot of description into. Yeah. I was relying more on the players to kind of build an Asian feeling city in their own minds. Yeah. There were, there the I mean, there were the constant um, little idols to the one god, which Peter was a super big fan of, as our <laughs> listeners will know. Um, and then Jama the Nomad City, which was really cool. Just, you know, a city that's always on the move. Yeah. And I got that idea from, well, really... Uh, in England, medieval England, the king's court would travel around the country. And the benefit of that, of course, was that the king was able to kind of keep up with events going on around the country. So he was able to keep up with, you know, how is the wealth of this area? Is work okay? Are there any plagues? You know, that kind of, he was able to keep aware of everything. But of course, what that meant was each place that he went, there had to be a household that was prepared to receive not only the king, but his entire retinue. And so you had these huge estates that were basically devoted to entertaining the king for maybe a month out of the year as he made this circuit. And I thought, man, that'd be kind of neat to put into our game world, to have a moving city that was able to kind of simulate that. So the Surdan of Sethar Ben is moving around in order to keep up with events and the people of his country. And so that's where that came from. So I guess the first tip for dungeon masters is 
find ways to spice up your cities, find ways to make them different, find ways to make them interesting so that when players go in, when characters go visit a city, it's not just a, a throwaway thing. It's, it's, not, it's not a shopping mall. Um, you want to come up with some kind of notable trait about you know, your city that you build. You know, cities here are known for notable things. I mean, we have, we have New York City known for the Statue of Liberty and the Empire State Building. Mm, and, true, and, so monuments. Yeah, yeah, monuments play a big part in cities. Um, Chicago is also really important for some trait that I can't think of right now. Um, well, it's a big trade area. Yeah, th- yeah, yeah. So a pretty, pretty wealthy trading city. There's a lot of things that you can point out about a city. I mean, you yeah, could just, have it for cult- cultural reasons. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. there's some kind of shrine there, or maybe some kind of some place of religious uh, pilgrimage, or uh, like Mecca, or you know, places of religious significance uh, where pilgrimages often take place, like Mecca. Yeah, or, uh, Jerusalem, right? Yeah. It does, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, I just wanted Big to make time. sure. Um, it just those kind of things. I mean, of course, it doesn't always have to be some kind of magical thing. Like, ah, yes, they are known for their floating spires. But, you know, they're also just mundane things that can really draw the eye and interest to a city. Yeah, great. So the first thing after all that that I wanted to talk about was what kinds of things should you take into account when crafting a new city for your campaign world? And terrain. I think, yeah, terrain is yeah. a good one and water. Yes, If you take a look at all the major cities in the area around you, you're going to notice that a consistent concern is placement by water. Yes. And in fact, if you look at a map of Ohio, you'll notice that the northwest corner has been skewed just a little bit to allow the state to have just a touch more of the lake, of the Great Lake. Uh, Pennsylvania also has a a little corridor that reaches north to allow access to Lake Erie. Water is just a huge, huge part, not only for trade, but of course for supporting life. And for travel. Travel is good. Crops, making sure that you have adequate supply for growing food. Yeah. And drinking and, you know, all, all the normal things about water. So, you, you yeah, on lakes, uh, by seas, on rivers, you know, any kind of source of water is pretty important to have your city by. And perhaps maybe that could be an aspect of the fantastical nature of your city. You know, maybe maybe there's a column of water that just reaches straight up, and that is the water supply. Or maybe it delves straight down into the earth, and there's something down there, whether it's more of the city or an uh, ancient, a creature lives an there. An ancient cult to a subterranean elder god that... <laughs> Who knows? That will rise up to destroy everything. Yeah, there, there could be any number of possibilities. This is a free adventure idea. You can thank me later. <laughs> yeah. So really, the first thing to take into account is water. But in addition to that, as you said, terrain is a big feature. People tend to cite settlements where it's convenient. Lots of open ground. Open ground that allows room for agriculture, that allows room for visibility and, and ease of trade and building. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Now, that's not always the case. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, you, you take a look at all these castles that are perched up on mountaintops. Because yeah, that's a great defensive position. It's yeah. hard to go up a mountain. Out in the desert. You're sacrificing, perhaps, rocky terrain around you to help secure your flanks and whatnot. But at the same time, you're exposing movement 
people have to come across a flat open expanse to get to you, you're going to be able to see it very easily. And, oh, by the way, it's very hot and unpleasant. So you're already starting to make yourself less desirable of a target because it's harder to get to you. And so looking at where you choose to site your city is an important consideration. In addition to the terrain, a city has to thrive somehow. And what are some ways that cities draw in money? Well, primarily through trade. People. Either internally or you know, externally. You know, um, especially linking into the whole placement on water or mm-hmm. on open ground where it's easy for travel to be done. Um, so that way plenty of trade can come in either by a ship or by cart. And so that's, that's you know, one way. And uh, an important thing, you know, taking terrain into account, um, you also account for what kind of resources are available to a city. Mm-hmm. You know, are the hills that your city is founded on or nearby, are they rich in minerals? If so, then that city might be known for its metalworking yeah. or, or uh, jewelry. Its mines, yeah. Yeah, those kind of things. Uh, is it on a pretty large productive river, then, you know, maybe known for its fish, uh, seafood, all that kind of stuff. Yep, very good. And something else to keep in mind, especially for new dungeon masters, it's tempting to make a city have absolutely everything in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you want it, it's here. Well, the problem with that is, well, first of all, there's no there's no issue with that. If you want to do it like that, great. Go for it. There's lots of possibilities for adding flavor to your world that way. Everyone wants to go here because this is where everything is. Now, of course, you may want you may have to find some way to explain why on earth your city has access to everything under the sun. But that just makes it uh, interesting for more world building. Yeah, and that's not necessary if if you just want to wave your hand <laughs> and that's the way it is. It okay, is no the problem. city. <laughs> but there is benefit to, especially if you want to force your characters out to explore the world, to not have everything in one place. Oh, weapons? Oh, we don't we don't make those here. You or can find we them. import them from over here. But you know what? If you want better prices, our caravans have been disrupted recently because of Bandit Act. I mean, you you can force characters into, or or guide them into adventure because you're you're spreading out the capabilities around your world. Yeah, the city down the river, they uh, they have a company just like ours that really rivals us. We want you to go and uh, knock out the competition. Yep, there's that. Or, you know, like Toledo, Spain is known for its steel. And so if you want quality steel, go to Toledo. Or uh, the Damascus blade where the, the style of folding the metal led to a very superior metal blade uh, that was much coveted in ancient times. And so if you want that kind of sword, well, you're going to have to travel to get it. You're going to have to get out there and find it. And that's, that can add a lot of depth to a world very quickly with very little effort. In England, you have towns that are known for being wool producers or around the world where dyes are made. You know, any number of professions that just make a region special. You have wine regions, you have cheese regions, you have all sorts of different things that draw people to it for tourism, for industry, that kind of stuff. It makes it attractive to want to go there, especially if you're into that sort of thing. All sorts of fun things that you can do with cities that maybe, again, it's easy to forget or to not think about as you're crafting your city. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned at the beginning, 
it's also fun to think about the different parts of cities. So especially with Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy type cities, one of the first things to me that comes to mind is defenses. And so you have walled cities. And in last summer's trip to Germany, we got to go visit Rotenburg and just walking on those walls again. It was just so neat to be up above everything, to be yeah. looking out of the city and realizing, man, there could be an army out there. What were your impressions of that trip? <laughs> I mean, it was awesome. I mean, the entirety of our Germany trip was pretty cool, and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, but yeah, going to Rotenburg was really, really cool uh, for the history and also just the the look of the place, you know, just going to a pretty pretty traditional German town. You know, he's, he's got all the red-roofed buildings of varying colors and all these things. And shapes. And shapes, too, and uh, the the winding roads that ran between buildings and all mm-hmm. that. And, you know, you'd have a house, and then you'd have a business, and then another house, and, and that kind of... I mean, in some cases, not all the time, but I thought that was really neat. Um, but, yeah, the, the walls were really neat. That was, of course, one of the first things that we really checked out as we were walking into the city... My sister and I ran up onto the walls and ran around and all that stuff. It's pretty cool. So depending on the age of your city or maybe the type of civilization that you're working with, maybe the walls are no longer necessary. Or maybe they once served a purpose, but the city as it has grown has outgrown the use of the walls. And so now the walls are still there, but they're crumbling or the buildings are no longer contained only to the interior. They, they've kind of spilled out. Yeah, so uh, walls are more than just defensive things. They can tell you a lot about a city, like how they're built, what they're built with, uh, what state they're in. You know, If they're nice and clean, then you know that that city still has a whole lot of use for them or just has the ability to uh, keep care of them, mm-hmm. even if they're no longer useful. Yeah, you look at some of the forts over in India that are massive but you get up close to them and you can see that the mortar is crumbling or the some of the stones are wearing away some of the sites are very nicely maintained but you've got some massive forts that are just kind of falling into ruin Uh, so again like thane said absolutely the the state of maintenance can be an indicator of where the city is going is it a city that is in decline well what would you expect? You'd expect to see crumble, decay. Maybe some empty houses as well. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. You just have, you know, old crumbling houses, business, you know, as you're walking in, you have some shop, some shop owner who's just now closing down because he has no more money to keep business open. And also, uh, if the city has grown out beyond its walls, Will the walls still be kept, or would they be taken down and put up at uh, the new city bounds? Or used uh, in new buildings. Yeah, or, or is, um, is the wall kept up as some kind of like divider between, you know, maybe the upper class living within the walls and the lower class living outside? You know, they can also carry a lot of societal significance rather than just being a defensive structure. Yeah, yeah, very good. That's, that's a great way... To really spice things up. You could have class distinctions based on where they live. I'm thinking a lot about uh, Whiterun from Skyrim. Mm -hmm. That leads me into another aspect, how cities are arranged. And so you have things like wards and boroughs and districts and quarters. 
I looked these up. I, I looked up wards and quarters beforehand. Wards are more administrative and political divisions. So you'll see this in places like Chicago and New York, where especially come election time, what ward do you live in? Okay, well, that's where you do your voting. Whatever the results of that ward are help determine the overall voting power of the city. By subdividing a city into all these administrative regions, you're effectively carving it up to make it easier to manage. So you're going to find that in larger cities. Quarters, on the other hand, are not administrative and political, but rather cultural. In cities today, we have Chinatown. We have uh, other cultural regions that are, you know what you're going to get when you walk into that section of town. Oh, yeah. That's another way to add flavor. Okay, you've suddenly moved, you've left perhaps the, the nice part of town, and now you're moving into the slum quarter or whatever, you know. So you could, you could have delineated parts of your city that aren't official, but they do kind of show, okay, this is where this part ends and this part begins. They carry a reputation. Yeah, reputation is a good way to look at it. Also, I wanted to look at differences between the kinds of thoroughfares in a city. And Thane and I were talking about this, going again back to the beginning of our episode. There are subtle differences between the names we give to our streets. And so I wanted to look at these. As you're naming the various routes through your city, keep these in mind. And we'll provide a link to this so you have easier access to it. But roads can be anything that connect two points, the most basic of the naming conventions. So roads I tend to imagine as uh, bigger, busier. Main places of, of travel, like maybe going in and out of the city towards some kind of, you know, city center. You know, you maybe only have a couple of, of these in your city, not, not a whole bunch, you know, maybe even just one that goes right through the city. And that's where the majority of the passage happens. And then you yeah. just have little uh, smaller uh, streets or whatever on earth they would be called, just kind of branching off to go into the different parts. Yeah. And so I would see a road as maybe like a trade route, that runs through your settlement. And then, uh, like Thane said, lesser thoroughfares come off of that. So maybe you would want to make your roads busier and wider and maybe even better maintained than other parts of the, of the infrastructure of your city. Uh, there are streets, and these are public ways that have buildings on both sides. And uh, the distinction here with avenues is that Streets run perpendicular to avenues, typically. And the great example of this is New York City. You have your avenues that run north-south. You have your streets that run east-west. And so you know if somebody gives you directions to 13th Street that you're looking for an east-west route automatically as a New Yorker because you're not having to, you're not having to sift through and, and look at the north-south routes. You're, you're automatically narrowing down what you're looking for. So I thought that was a neat distinction. And also the fact that streets have buildings on both sides. That could be another way of, of using a more specific application of the word street. Yeah, I kind of imagine you have your road that runs through your city, and then on both sides you just have two streets, which are you know, not as large, but still pretty large, that kind of go around on the far sides of the city. And on these you have your your majority of the buildings and from these streets will branch off even smaller yeah. ways that may lead into businesses that are tucked into the corners, mm -hmm. residential areas, yeah. all that. Some time ago, I 
don't know if it's accurate or if it still holds true, but the most common U.S. street name is Second Street. And that is because there's kind of a, a toss-up between Main Street or First Street. And so that, that gets a little bit divided. But Second Street is supposedly the most common U.S. town street name. If you think about Main Street, when you hear Main Street, I think of businesses along both sides, and it's kind of the main drag through town. And yeah, I would imagine that a Main Street in any city that you create would be like that. It would, it would have businesses on both sides lining the streets as you go through the city. Avenue we talked about, it's a public way that has buildings or trees on either side of it, and they can run perpendicular to streets. Boulevards, very wide city streets with trees and vegetation on both sides, and there's usually a median in the middle. So if you have any wider roads that are made to look a little more park-like and inviting because of the trees along them and in the middle of them, it might be a boulevard. Lanes are narrow roads often found in rural areas. Drives are long winding roads with routes shaped by the environment, like a nearby lake or mountain. So you might expect a drive to be a little more winding, less straight. And a little more scenic, I guess? Perhaps, yeah. Yeah, it could very well be. Terraces, uh, streets that follow the top of a slope. So maybe, uh, well, where I went to high school, the little town I went to high school in had Ridge Road. There was a, an elevated ridge that ran along the river. And so it, it was a road up there, but it could have been a terrace just as easily. Place, a road or street that has no throughway or leads to a dead end. Another big one there is court. A lot of our courts around here are like little cul-de-sacs or dead-end streets. And so these are just things that you can take into account as you're coming up with names for the various places in your city. Again, adding meaningful detail to a city. I also wanted to take a quick look at the jobs available in cities. Yes. And I've got a list that I found. And again, we'll provide the link to this in the show notes. But it breaks out all sorts of different occupations. Uh, and each one is linked. So you can get to it uh, a fuller description of what that occupation is. Everything from crofter to dairy maid to dung carter to leech collector to artist's model shoemaker, furrier, tailor, aerosmith, blacksmith, you know, things that you would expect to find in large cities where diversification of talents and skills is made available. Yeah. And if you want a bit more of a simplified list, you can always find the uh, list of potential guild businesses in the player's handbook on page 132. When you're going through the backgrounds, the guild artisan background uh, offers a variety of different guild businesses you could be a part of, your character could be a part of to really spice it up. So you've got stuff like alchemists, you've got locksmiths, brewers, you've got roofers, you've got cobblers, you've got glass blowers, stone cutters, sign makers, sail makers, metal forgers, weavers, co uh, coopers, all kinds of all kinds of stuff here uh, that can really are useful for filling out a character but also a good reference list of, you know, a fair amount of occupations and trades that you can find in a city. Yeah, absolutely. And guilds were huge in medieval Europe. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to work in a certain profession, chances are there was a guild for it. In fact, when we went to Rotenburg on the bakeries, yes, there were the still bakeries. guild symbols that the showed. Baker's Guild. Exactly. There was a baker's guild. I think there was a pretzel and like a loaf of bread. So if you 
claimed to be a baker, you'd better be in that guild or you were going to be shut down. (laughs) (laughs) And certainly as a member of the guild, there were things that you had to uphold, quality standards, cleanliness standards, uh, customer satisfaction, that sort of thing. So being a member of a guild wasn't just, I'm in, I'm done. It was, I'm in, I've got to maintain and I've got to hold that standard because it's the it's the reputation of our guild that helps to keep us powerful and believable. Yeah, there might be some kind of dues um, that need to be paid in order to keep the guild powerful and able to provide for its members. And to limit membership. Yes. Uh, because part of the purpose of guilds was to accept the best. By best, often that meant those with money yeah. <laughs> and reputation. And so if you weren't rich enough, you just couldn't do it. You had to find something else to do. So there are some politics at play here too. Oh, yeah. Which again could tie into a city's atmosphere and add to the adventure of, of an urban environment. Yeah, the stonecutting guild is going to do what it can to really you know, watch out for it for its stonecutters. And if the government, uh, the local government tries to raise prices or something, I have no idea how economy works. Um, <laughs> if the government tries to do anything with the quarries, the guild may, you know, really step out and do something about it, you know, being influential and a big player in the city. Yeah, very good. There's a lot more we could talk about, and I have a feeling we're going to extend this to a second one at some point, but uh, we're going to move on. And maybe come back to some of these things. I would love to go through in detail some of the occupations available. Names that we take for granted, like Taylor. Mm-hmm. Well, that the last name came from the fact that somebody was a tailor. Uh, Cartwright. Yeah. All sorts of possibilities. And I think it would be eye-opening to know what kinds of jobs there were. Basically, if there's something that can be made... There's an occupation that's focused on it. Yeah. And so what we want to do for the final part of this episode is to look at some of the resources that you can use to help make cities for your world. And the first and probably easiest of these is to use existing maps. Take a look on Google Maps or Bing Maps or whatever your map program is of choice and take a look at the overhead view of old cities. Uh, A great example is Boston. Because Boston was formed well before cars were invented, take a look at the street layouts, and you'll see that they're all over the place. And oh, yeah. the the legend is that the roads were built on where the cow paths were, and I think that's been proven inaccurate. It's still pretty neat to think about. Pretty neat idea, uh, and it looks like it. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, uh, same in Rotenburg. Um, there were only maybe a couple of streets that cars could drive on, but for the most part, the streets were clogged with people. Yeah. Because that's what, you know, cities back then were made for, because they didn't really have much in the way of wheel transport, maybe for some of the... Wagons and carriages. Yeah, maybe for, for some of the richer folk, but for the most part, you just had your own two legs. Yeah. And so you used them. And there really wasn't a need for wide streets, because... The wagons come in, the wagons go out, and that's it. You're done for the day. Yeah. You didn't go driving around or anything for fun or to go get food or something. It made it really inconvenient for us today. Yeah. (laughs) If you're looking for an easy way to create the layout of a city, check out maps that exist and find ways to bring those over to your world. 
something that I would like to do in a future episode, Creation Corner episode, is an approach that I discovered out of boredom in high school, and that is drawing maps that develop over time. And so basically, I would draw some terrain, and let's say I just sketch in a, a river and some woods real quick. And basically, what that would represent is once upon a time in this part of the world, uh, this country, there was this river and these woods. And then what I would do is I, I did this in pencil so that I could erase and change things. And then one day, uh, maybe the, the river widened. So I would draw the river wider at this point. And what that does is it slows it down and makes it possible to create a ford there. So as silt begins to deposit there, it becomes a trade route over time because that's the easiest place to cross the river, the safest place to cross. Well, what's going to happen over time? Well, somebody's going to set up a shop there or a toll booth or something, an inn. An inn, yeah, some kind of rest house or something. So now you've got an easy crossing of a river and a road and an inn. Over time, people are going to begin to realize, hmm, I could benefit from this arrangement. Yeah, or, you know, the, the innkeeper um, needs to, you know, maybe there's some kind of storm that damages the and the innkeeper wants to uh, repair it, but he doesn't really have the money to pay for, you know, boards and workers to be brought in. So one of his friends, a carpenter, comes and sets up shop right there and, you know, they fix it. And he just kind of stays there because the woods are pretty nice. Yeah. And so he has access to wood there. And then after a bit, maybe a toolsmith comes in to supply the needs of the carpenter and so on and so forth. Until suddenly you have a sprawling metropolis with gangs and factions and underground cults and all kinds of neat stuff. Yeah, and it all starts with that simple map. The beauty of this approach is because you've developed it as almost like a timeline, you'll be able to go back and see, oh, there's that inn that I created. That was the very first building here. Yeah, and the city... What was the owner's name? Yeah. What what was the inn's name? And the city uh, really has a significance to you because you built that from the beginning instead of like, uh, let me sketch the walls. Let me just fill it full of buildings and draw a couple lines yeah. for roads and all that stuff. Exactly. It has meaning. It has history and it's all baked in because you've built it up over the course of drawing it and it's got a story to it. So it's a really neat approach. And I think we might try and illustrate that through a hand-drawn map at some point, but we'll see. We'll get to that point. And the final thing that we wanted to share with you stackers is Thane has come across something really, really neat that he wanted to share with you. Yeah. So um, as some of you may know about this website called itch.io. It's a place where uh, some of you may uh, be familiar with the website called itch.io. It's a website where creators can post content. It's usually uh, video games from indie developers and whatnot. But uh, some people also put out uh, physical games like tabletop role-playing games and the like and one of the th- games that i came across was a game called ex novo which is a game solely focused on a uh, cooperative or solo town building and basically you get a piece of paper some dice and you know a couple pens or pencils and all that and you just start building a town you you roll and you figure out terrain and you roll and you figure out events and you put down buildings and you just kind of progress in turns in order to really build out a town in a nice randomized organized way we'll be putting a link to the to the game in the in the description the show notes whatever they're called yeah i got really excited when you told me about that i think that's a great idea so a collaborative 
city building game. That's really neat. And uh, maybe we yeah. should try that too. <laughs> you can do it, you can do it for fun with your friends if you're just kind of bored or you can you can also do it on your own. I think it said like 1 to 4 players and basically you can just kind of do whatever. Yeah. The beauty of it is if you work with somebody on it, work on it collaboratively at the end, you've not only played a game, but you've come up with something. And that something could now be used in a game world. And that's just so neat. And it, what would be especially neat about it is if, say, you know you're planning on start kicking off a game of your own, a campaign, and you want a city, why not get the potential players involved too? Have them help you build the city so that when they get in, they already know the city. Especially if they've like been raised there, then you know it really helps them to play as characters who have lived there. You know, one of the one of the struggles I I do have is, you know, in, in settings where my character is, you know, some kind of village kid born and raised, it's hard for me to really play as someone who actually grew up there because I'm being introduced to the city right now and now I have to pretend like I've been here my whole life. Yeah. That could be a bit hard, but doing this can definitely help. Yeah. So thanks for coming across that. We're gonna try and shout out the game itself and the creator if we can find out who it is and if they have a twitter handle if nothing else maybe we can promote the itch.io oh yeah it's a fantastic page. website if you want you know some free games you know some of the stuff is kind of weird on there but it's it's just you know indie developed stuff you, lots of demos lots of uh half half-baked games but i found a couple gems on there yeah support indie work it's important, especially like at this us. time. Yeah, <laughs> especially at this time where entertainment is so hard to come by. Uh, you need to find ways to to exercise your imagination, uh, to have find ways to have fun. Uh, this is a great way to do it. And of course, like Thane said, support us. We'd love to hear more from our stackers. So we know we've covered a lot, and it's been as usual in rather rambling fashion in one of these creation corners. But I think again, that's I, I want to try and keep these that way because that's where innovation comes from. That's where inspiration comes from. By just talking and seeing what comes out, sometimes you're not even thinking, and something comes out, and it's just great. We've tried to capture that in this particular episode. Have you gained anything from it? Is there anything that you do in building your cities? Any resources you use, places you go, cities that you've created? We'd love to hear more about your game world. Oh yeah, tell us about it. We uh, we could probably you know use that in our next uh, talk on this. Yeah, absolutely. If stackers, if you share with us your creations, we would love to highlight what makes it special and what what you love about it. That would be fantastic. That's brain food for our other stackers. That's right. Exactly. You can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at stackodice, and our email address is stack.o.dice at gmail.com. Please reach out, let us know. And on Monday, just two days away, actually, by the time you hear this, we should know more about whether our counties are going to lessen restrictions, and our hope, our hope, our hope, our hope is that we will be able to meet as a gaming group next Friday to record and close out this season once and for all. We need to know what happens. <laughs> I want to know what happens. <laughs> Stick with us, stackers. We know we've been doing a lot of special content recently to help fill in the time. We hope it's been helpful and entertaining for you, but we know we are itching to get back to the story, and we hope you are too. So stick with us. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your comments, your reviews. If you haven't yet rated and reviewed us on iTunes, please do so. 
We've gotten a couple recently, and we've been very, very happy to see those. We'll be sharing those the next time we get together for an actual play recording. So if you've submitted those, thank you and listen in carefully to our next actual play episode. We'll be sure to get those in. And until next time, we hope you'll stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you here again next time at Stack of Dice. This is not a bad episode. Once you get into a city, you could have political political intrigue. Political 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 political.